This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me once again, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. As we continue this morning our study through the book of Hebrews, we're in verses 19 through 25, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. In basically the end of 2019, I begin to pray about what it is the Lord would want me to preach next. I was kind of at a moment of transition in my preaching. And as I prayed through that, I really believed that we needed to be in the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, somewhere in February of 2020, I started the Gospel of Luke and was excited about that journey. I had spent a lot of time on it. And then we went online for about four months. And as I prayed through that moment, I really didn't think that Luke was right for that. It just didn't feel right uh, from being online. And so I began to preach through the book of Psalms. Some of you may remember I did like 18 sermons in Psalm 23. You were glad that that was done. And then we got done with that. And I just decided to spend the rest of the year in Psalms. It just, it seemed right. And as I pray through those things, I just trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then when we came into this year, I thought, well, I'll just jump back into Luke. That was the logical thing. And I had prepared for that. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought about our cultural situation, the more I thought about the way in which uh, the last year affected us, the things I was seeing in the lives of our church members, the things I was hearing, the counseling I was doing, all of that really led me to the book of Hebrews. And if there was one passage of any of the passages in Hebrews that led me to preach that book, it would be the passage we're looking at this morning. I would say that my desire to preach this book and my belief that it was the right thing for us in this moment as a family, it's, it's this passage. And it only took me like 21 sermons to get here in six months. So I've been waiting for this moment. And I'm so excited about what God has to say to us in these exhortations. I really believe we need to hear uh, what the Spirit of God says to us from this text. If you're there in Hebrews 10, say amen. Listen, starting in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are three exhortations in this text, three commands, and they all begin with those words, let us. Since then, since then, and then let us, let us, let us, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider I really was preaching this entire series because of my belief in how much we needed those exhortations. But what I was not prepared for in my own life is the way in which I would personally be challenged and changed 
uh, and encouraged by the difficult sections in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4 through 9 are some of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. But the depth of those theological texts really changed me. They changed my motive for ministry. I'm, I'm talking in a very real way through my understanding of the new covenant in a way I've never understood before. It really has affected me. And I was not expecting that. Even this morning, I was talking to someone after the first service about how I believe many pastors understand the new covenant, but they lead from the old covenant. And I was even thinking this morning even just about parenting and, and parenting from the new covenant, knowing that you can't control. You just have to lead to Jesus and, and give wisdom and trust the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. There's just so many ways in which my understanding of the new covenant really has affected me. I'm getting asked to speak at a, a pastor's conference here in a couple of months, and I've been kind of in the back of my mind just thinking what I would do. And I'm going to preach from Hebrews 8 on what it looks like to pastor from the new covenant. What does a new covenant type of ministry look like? It's important to remember that, that the book was written to people in, in maybe in a similar circumstance as you. Not exactly, but similar. These people were raised in the Jewish synagogue under the leadership of the Pharisees. A group of people who had long departed from the heart of God. Their ministries did not reflect God or his heart or his affections or his desire. And so they were bound in this religious system that only focused on externals. And I say this is similar to some of you because many of you have come to me and said, I grew up in a church like this, wherever it may have been, that, that just focused on the externals. And it was all about what you wear and how you talk and how you act and everything was a rule and a do and a don't and how you dress and how you look. There's a lot of rules and regulations, a lot of pressure. And if you grew up in that environment or if you thought of the Lord in those terms, what it ends up producing are really joyless and lifeless and burdened and overwhelmed and stressed out followers of Jesus who just live with this constant sense that there's nothing they can do to make God happy, that they're never quite good enough. That there's always something they've done wrong and there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and that kind of thing. And then, and then Jesus shows up and he takes that religious system filled with externals and he dismantles it. He literally, moment by moment, just takes it apart. And that's what I've said to you, that the reason they killed Jesus is because they found their identity in this system and the religious leaders used this system to control everyone. And that's what legalistic churches do. They control you through a legalistic system. And so Jesus came and dismantled this and they lost their identity. They lost their entire understanding of who they are. And in its place, he gave this new covenant. He gave what is called in our text, this new and this living way. This new covenant, which is from the inside out, where God starts his work, not by saying, you gotta get over that and change that and that and that. He starts his work by saying, I'm gonna change you on the inside. I'm going to make you by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit into a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. He just changes us. Ezekiel 36 says, 34 through 36 says, he takes out our heart of stone and he gives us a heart that beats for him. So now all of a sudden there's this new life in Christ. And when we understand that 
what God is inviting us into is this personal, relational, intimate, dynamic. And what I mean by dynamic is it's, it's changing. It's, it's different. It's moment by moment. It's real. It's alive. But he's inviting us into that kind of life. He doesn't begin by a list of all the things you've got to do to be right with God. He begins by saying, I'm putting my spirit in you. And as you get close to me, I'm going to lead you in the path of righteousness, Psalm 23, for my name's sake. It's just a really beautiful way to live. And we come to this practical section of Hebrews and we do find these commands. But when we think about this in terms of the new covenant, these commands are not a burden. These commands are invitations to come and find life in Jesus. And that's the way we begin to rethink about the commands because there are commands and they are real and they matter and God gives them But when we understand life in the new covenant, these commands begin to feel like God saying, listen, I know what's best for you. And I'm good and my heart is good and my ways are good and I'm smarter than you. And if you will walk in my ways, you will come to understand real life. And that's why this text begins with these little sentences here, these three verses about the new covenant. And then gives us the response. It says, for since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Meaning there was this place in the old covenant that you could never go. That's the presence of God. Like you couldn't go there. The high priest went there, but you couldn't get there. God was distant. And as we say, I'm going to say it until you're tired of it. And then I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. As long as God has me pastor here. Everything flows from the presence of God. So everything you need is in God's presence, but you couldn't get there. And so God makes this way through the death of Jesus Christ. So the door has been opened. The curtain that separated you from the presence of God has been torn away. And by the blood of Jesus, you can enter. Look at this, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened. How? Through the curtain. That's his flesh. So when his flesh was torn apart, the curtain was torn apart. And because of that, and because we have a great high priest, meaning a mediator between us and God, Jesus is the means by which we get into the presence of God, because we have all of that, because that's a reality, here's then how you should live. So let's just just think about it here for a minute. What the author is saying is this. Through the death of Jesus Christ, the place that you could never get has now been opened. So the door to the presence of God has been flung wide open. The curtain that separated from the presence of God has been torn in two. So since then, this is true. The curtain is gone. The door is open. Here's the way you should now live as a new covenant believer. That being true, here's the way you should live. And that's these three commands. How do we live in light of this new covenant, in light of this ability to go into the presence of God and to know him and to walk with him and to hear from him and to have this kind of personal relationship with him, how should we live? Well, it gives us three commands to describe it. The first one is in verse 22, and it's this. Get close to Jesus. (laughs) Get close to Jesus. That's the first way in which we live out this new covenant. So this is just really logical. He says, let us draw near. Since then, we have access, let's draw near. This is really, really simple. If through the death of Jesus, 
There is now a way made for you to go directly into the presence of God. The most natural response is this, go get in the presence of God. <laughs> like what other command right here would make more sense than this one? There's no command that would make more sense. So this is just the logical progression. God has made a way to go directly to him. You gotta go. You've got to go get close to him. All of the systems and all of the regulations and all the barriers have been broken down. And when you understand the Old Testament system and washing your hands and sacrificing the animal and having the right clothes on, and it's gone. Jesus was all of that. Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus made us clean. All of that is there. So now there's this wide open door into the presence of God. And the simple command is this, go get close to Jesus. He says, draw near. That may be the primary command in the book of Hebrews. In all of the talk about the high priest, the primary response to that is this. Since we have a high priest who's made a way, go get close to Jesus. A great cross-reference for that, you want to write this down, is Hebrews 4, 16. The first time we're introduced to Jesus as the great high priest in Hebrews is chapter 4. And then the response is this, verse 16. Let us then... See if this sounds familiar. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because there we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you need help, listen to me. Jesus, who understands what it's like to live in this broken world, says if you need help, if you need mercy, if you need grace, if you need wisdom, well, get near. Because all of it is found there. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that you might find help in time of need. And going back to chapter 10, he says the way in which you should do that is through a true heart. Now, those are really significant words because remember, they were raised in this system which everything was fake and they saw through it. They knew this. This is why Jesus comes in Matthew 5 through 7 and he says this, when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees. When you give, don't give like the Pharisees. When you fast, don't fast like the Pharisees. Why? Because it was all for show. They weren't doing it because they wanted to get close to God. They did it because they wanted to impress people. But God says in the new covenant, you have to come near to me, not in attempts to impress someone, but because you want me. And by faith, you actually believe that getting close to me is the greatest place to be. Like you just believe that there's nothing better than the presence of God. So that means you come to church even if no one ever knows and you read your Bible if no one ever knows and you give if no one ever knows and you fast and pray if no one ever knows. Why? Because your motive is not others. It's your true desire to draw near to God. I think even that relieves some pressure, doesn't it? Like this is about your own motivation to get near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith. A full assurance of, of faith. What that means is that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it means that you are welcome. That you are invited into the presence of God. That you are accepted in the presence of God. And this is why it says that we come and we do that with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You know, it's funny, I, as I think about why I was motivated to preach Hebrews, 
And this is why I believe as a normal habit, we, we do different things from time to time, but as a normal habit, it's good to preach through books of the Bible because I really only wanted to preach Hebrews 10. I'm just being honest. But you would call me on it. But because I preached one through 10, I was ready to hear what was in 10. Because I needed chapter nine to tell me that I can have a clear conscience through the death of Jesus Christ. And I don't have to be ashamed and I don't have to feel guilty and I don't have to keep remembering all my sins of my past. I needed to be reminded twice, once in eight and once in nine, that God remembers my sins no more. And here's the reason. Because every single time I go to enter the presence of the Lord, it even happened this morning, I'm immediately thinking about all the reasons I don't deserve to be there. Like I just am very aware of all my deficiencies and struggles and sins and attitudes. And I begin to think, well, Lord, I was super busy this week and I didn't spend the time with you that I should have. And I wasn't consistent as I should have. And I got into some old pattern, like whatever it is, there's just a thousand things that come flooding. Some of it real, some of it just because the guilt that we have grown up with and live whatever, but we go into the presence of God. And the first thing that usually hits us is I don't deserve to be here. And, and the answer to that is you're right. But Jesus shed his blood to cover your conscience and make it clean so by faith in what Jesus has done with confidence, you can walk right into the presence of God with great confidence and just be with him. And if that's true, and if Jesus died to allow you to be there, the answer is simply to get close to him. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we draw near? How do we get close to Jesus? Well, the answer is by what we would call the normal means of grace. The normal means of grace, meaning the normal means by which God says you can know him. Prayer, reading the word, fasting, fellowship, giving. I mean, all the ones that are in Matthew 6, giving, fasting, and praying were the three Jesus gave. You say, well, how does giving get me close to him? Because it connects my heart to what matters to him. And fasting is the way in which I, in an accelerated way, want to get close to Jesus. And, and reading my Bible is the daily way in which I walk into his presence. And prayer is the way that throughout the day, I take my needs and wants, desires, and I immediately walk in and take it to him so I can be in a crowd this big. And right now, as I'm preaching, feeling my deficiency and need for the Lord, and go right in and offer a quick prayer, Lord, I need you in this moment. That happens while I'm preaching, by the way. So this is what you do. You're in a crowded room. You're in whatever activities. You're in the class. You're doing whatever. And you just go in. You just go in. And you talk to him. And you share your heart with him. And this is exactly what he's saying. These normal means of grace. As I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't help but to think about Luke 10 and that story of Martha and Mary. And that's, I love that story. It's, it's, it's affected me. And so I, I've preached it a lot. But it wasn't until recently that I, I began to see that as maybe a distinction between old covenant and new covenant living. So Martha invites Jesus to the house. You know the story. And Jesus comes to the house. And Martha's immediate reaction is, I've got to get to work because Jesus is coming to the house. And she does. She gets to work. She gets everything prepared. She's busy. And then her sister, probably younger sister, is not doing anything. She's sitting there. Older sister, busy, because older sisters do. And then what I love, everything about this is great because the whole family dynamics and the whole fact that Martha 
doesn't like address Mary. She just tells Jesus to do it. Like this, everything about the story is fantastic. So Martha says, Jesus, hey, Mary's not doing anything. And so she's hoping that Jesus is gonna say, you know, Martha, you're right, and just unleash on Mary. But instead, Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried by so many things. You're distracted with so many things. And he says this, which had to have been shocking to those who had been raised in that old system. Mary has chosen the better thing. So listen, here's, if you're thinking in terms of old covenant, here's what you think. I want to get close to Jesus, so I got to get busy. Instead of, I want to get close to Jesus, so I got to just get close. Like Martha was old covenant. She was saying the answer is always get busy, get busy, get busy, get busy. And she absolutely believed that she was right and that Mary was wrong. And then Jesus in the shocking way says, Mary did what is best. Why? Because Mary's just getting close. When Jesus is in the house, the best thing you can do is just get really close and listen. It's a new covenant way of thinking. I remember in, in seminary, I was preaching at a, a student event and uh, I did like six sermons from Hebrews 11. And I remember coming to verse six, which says this, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, here's the same, so here's talking to us about drawing near to God. If you wanna draw near to God, you must believe that he exists, helpful, and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you realize that that statement really changed me. Because what I realized for the first time is, in, in order for me to please the Lord, I've got to draw near to the Lord believing that he's gonna reward me for drawing near. That it's for my good. That I get blessed when I draw near. That I get in on something incredible when I draw near. And that's the whole motive here. Draw near to God, why? Because there's good there. There's blessing there. So for my own good, for my own life, I draw near to God. In a new covenant way of life, the first thing you must do is just get close to Jesus. But the second thing is in that second command in verse 24, no, verse 23, where it says, then let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So if the first way is to get close to Jesus, the second way is this, don't let go. Don't let go. So you go get close to Jesus and then you don't let go. Let us hold Fast. That means hold on tight and do not let go. So you go back to that Hebrews 4 passage, which we read verse 16 a minute ago, but if you go back to 14, it says this same language. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. What should we do? Listen, let us hold fast, hold tight our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Same truths, same responses. Let's draw near and let's hold fast. Let's get close and let's not let go. Now I've said this over and over and I'm doing it intentionally, but one of the things the book of Hebrews teaches us by the situation of these Hebrews is that we're all tempted to go back to what we left to come to Jesus. Okay, I've, I've said this over and over. You left something to come to Jesus because if you came to Jesus, you repented. 
And it doesn't mean like you leave it and you never are tempted to go back to it. Sometimes we go back. And we're all constantly drawn to go back to what we left. And sometimes it's just cultural pressure. Sometimes it's the pressure of friends and relationships. Sometimes it's social pressure. Sometimes it's just moral temptation. Sometimes it's demonic. But there's always pressure to go the opposite direction. And sometimes we run back to those things. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we willingly just run back to the old life. But other times, Hebrews 2.1 we just drift back there because we're not holding on. So if you stop holding on to Jesus, you naturally drift away. No one just drifts to Jesus. Everyone drifts away from Jesus. But whatever the reason, we're often pulled back. And so this says, hold fast your confession of hope without wavering. So think with me here for a minute. The moment in which you were saved was a moment of your confession. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So every one of you, listen to me, has to have a moment of confession. You have to have a moment in which you go from just a knowledge about God to saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. I don't want to pay for my own sins. I want Jesus to pay for them. And then the response to that is, and then... We give an open confession through baptism, but there has to be a moment of confession. And in confession, you say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm giving my life to you. Here's what this is saying. You gotta hold on to that confession. You made that confession. Don't waver from the confession you made because we do this, don't we? Don't we waver from the confession we made? Like it doesn't take long at all. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And the next day we're kind of wishy-washy on it. And so it says, take that confession you've made and, and hold fast to that confession and, and don't waver, don't get discouraged or distracted for it. Listen, some of you have never made the confession. This morning, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to say for the very first time, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm trusting him alone and I wanna be a follower of Jesus. Some of you have made that confession, but you're not holding fast to it and you're away from it. And what do you do? Well, you draw near, you get back, you, you go back and you hold on, hold fast that confession with hope is what it says. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Hope is this, hope is the confidence that what God has for me is better. That's my hope. So my hope is I'm absolutely assured that God has good for me. I'm absolutely assured that walking with Jesus is the better thing. I'm absolutely convinced that the best is yet to come. So because I believe that he's better in hope, I'm gonna not let go of this because why would I let go of what's better? Why would I let go of what's better to grab hold of something that's worse? Look over just at the next paragraph, two paragraphs. It says um, in chapter 10, verse 35, look at this. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So you, you have this confidence. Don't let go of it. Hold on to it. Keep hold of that confidence that you have. This is 12, 1 and 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus. This is why we sing all of my life, you have been faithful all my life, you have been so, so good, because our hope is in the fact that he who promised is faithful. God promised that he rewards those who hold fast that confession. Keep believing that, 
Keep getting near, keep holding on, and keep having the hope that God has something good for you. It's almost like we go to him by faith, we keep holding on to him by hope. Do you see the difference there? Like by faith, I believe that Jesus is right and better, so I make that confession. And then with hope, I keep trusting that God has something good and better for me, and I just keep holding on by hope. So what's new new covenant living? First, you get close to Jesus. Second, you don't let go. And the third thing and final thing is in verse 24, you encourage others to do the same. Get that down. You encourage others to do the same. Get close to Jesus. Don't let go. Encourage others to do the same. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So generally when I preach, I preach paragraphs because the meaning, this is just literature, but the meaning is usually in a paragraph, not just a sentence, but in a paragraph. But every once in a while I'll preach a paragraph and I'll find a verse in there and I'll say, we need to camp out on that for a little bit. And I did that in chapter three, uh, verse 13. I preached it as a whole, and then I came back and preached one verse. It says this, but exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So it brings up this reality that it's possible for our hearts to get hardened as we keep sinning. And then all of a sudden we find out that we're not even really sensitive to the voice of the Lord because by our sin, we've hardened our heart. It's a very dangerous place to be. And it says one of the ways we make sure that doesn't happen to us is by constantly every single day speaking into each other's lives. That's a, that's a big deal. And then you come here and it says, listen, in this new covenant living, one of the ways that God keeps you faithful and one of the ways that God keeps you holding on and one of the ways that God keeps you from letting go is by constantly thinking about how you can encourage others to keep holding on to Jesus. Now it's interesting because it doesn't say, make sure that you have other people encouraging you. It says this, make sure you're thinking about how to encourage others. I, I, I think our first response to that would be, you're right, I need a lot of people in my life, which is true, but that's not the first thing. The first thing is you be the kind of person that is involved in someone's life to the extent that you know when they're drifting and you call them out when they are. You gotta be close enough to someone to do that. And I love the words because it says, let us consider, circle that word consider, It's a word that means to give careful thought and attention to something. It's like how much thought have you given in the last couple of weeks, careful thought about how you could make sure those you love and go to school with and work with and those in your family don't let go of their confession. He says that's what you should do. You should be giving thought to that. And then it says consider how to stir up. Very, very great, just a colorful word. It means to provoke or to agitate, or to shake. It's used both negatively and positively. The negative way is to like persist so much until you really irritate someone and grate on their nerves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you just, you just, it's kind of, you're just annoying. You just keep going on. That's the negative sense. The positive though is, is that you're just, you're involved in someone's life and you're speaking to them and you're using your words to, as it says in the end there, encourage them. So you're, Encourage means to put courage in someone. So while you're kind of 
seeing someone who's flaking out, what do you do? You put courage in them. You speak into them. Don't let go. Hold on. Hold fast. We're supposed to, to encourage them, exhort them to love and good deeds, to keep loving the Lord and walking with the Lord and being faithful in evangelism and, and fighting sin and not going back to the old habits in our lives. Do you realize that one of the primary ways that God keeps you faithful until the end is the people in this room? I mean, just look around for a minute. No, seriously, don't. I'm not, it's not like it. Like, look around. Like, look around. I hope that's not discouraging. Like, that, that's it. This is it. Like, right here. <laughs> that's the people. For better or for worse. Think about that. And that this is not, I think this is, I gotta just make sure we understand. This is not me immediately saying, that's right, I need more people doing this. No, the command is you do it. Be speaking into life. This is what friendship should be. I spoke at our men's breakfast recently about men needing friends and how a friendship with a man really is when you transition from we hang out together and do stuff together and have common interest to conversations that are meaningful. That's how you make the transition. Very awkward for men normally, but you, you got to make that transition to say, we're not just going to hang out. We're going to talk about something meaningful. And this is where it starts. I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And I think the reason it's the third one is because you really won't be able to keep doing the first two unless you're doing the third. But look at this last verse, 25. If you're going to do that, well, then you got to make sure that you're not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like even in the first century, apparently, some people had gotten in the bad habit of missing church. And that's, by the way, it's a habit. It's a really a habit. So is, so is your time with the Lord in the morning. So is your prayer. So is your fasting. And Bible, those are habits. I think one of the most encouraging things to me just right now, like I'm looking over at this mass of college students and I'm realizing as they have gone away from family they didn't have to keep coming to church most likely. But they're making sure that they're not getting out of the habit of coming to church. And this is exactly what it says. Because when you do that, you find yourself in a really dangerous situation. And so the context for this type of relationships is the context of the church. This is my act of sacrificial involvement in the church, in the lives of others. And this is what it says. The more that we see the day drawing near, the closer we get to the coming of Christ and the more tough the cultural pressure gets and the more the culture drifts from what we believe, the more we need this in our lives. We don't need less church, we need more. The more you see the day of coming, all the more it says. So what it's saying is meet together and don't stop meeting together and meet together more and more and more and more. And this is, this is new covenant living. This is, this is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Through the death of Jesus, a way is opened. Your first response is to get close. And then your next response is to stay close and hold on and don't drift away. And then you just get involved in the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ and you encourage them to do the same thing. You get close by faith. You hold on by hope and in love, you're connected to other people encouraging them. This is really simple, but it demands your attention. Listen to this. It's simple, but it demands your effort. 
It demands that you actually do something, that you get close, that you hold on. It demands that you spend time in the word and spend time with prayer. Your continual effort is not in a desire to please God or to make him happy. Your continual effort is in your desire to get close to him because close to him is the best place to be. The best of all possible lives in this broken world is a life with Jesus Christ. So here it is. The door's been opened because Jesus opened it through his death. Go, go in. I mean, how close are you? How much time have you been in his presence this week? For your own joy and for your own good, I'm pleading with you to get close to Jesus. Just stay there for a while and rest there for a while. Let him speak to you and minister to you and encourage you. And when you need wisdom and all those kind of things, don't run someone else, go there first. And find in him that there is nothing better than being in the presence of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.